welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show where we talk about short video games. Games that respect your time. I'm your host, Reagan Kelly, and I'm joined by awesome co-hosts, Shane Kelly, my bro host. How are you doing, Shane? I am feeling like a birthday boy. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, our birthday, just recently. So happy birthday to happy, you and to me. Happy birthday to you and also me. Uh, Guys. 31 goddamn Happy birthday. Now. Nate I just is also here. Nate Heidegger. I just one moment uh, <laughs> thanking me for the birthday gift that I gave myself, uh, which was PSVR. Ah, yes. <laughs> so thanks, yes. me. Yeah, let's talk about that after we talk about the main game. Uh, for Absolutely. impressions on PSVR, very, very fresh impressions, uh, hang out till the end of the show. Um, and I, I said just a moment ago, uh, Nate is also here with us. Nate Heininger, how are you doing? Happy birthday, Nate. Thank you. Actually, my birthday is in a few weeks. This is good radio. Um, <laughs> I'm glad to be here. Um, yeah, and I, I will get out of you know the way of the two of you, the birthday boys. Awesome. Well, the game that we're here to talk about this week is Hyperlight Drifter by Heart Machine. Um, and this is a game that I was not so sure would be right for our show the first time I picked it up. But uh, I we did. We I dove into it and uh, I really, really enjoyed this game. Um, so I am very, very glad that the three of us are here to dive into all the details about it. Yeah, I'm glad we're talking about it, too. And I should say that this game came out a while back. It came out in March. Uh, and we received, uh, first off, thanks to the developer for providing us with uh, review codes. Um, I dove into it right away and had the same reaction. At first, I was like, this may not be for me. But having spent some more time with it, this is a game that rewards uh, like a careful, close look. And that's why it's taken us so long uh, to kind of get into this game and, and uh, get prepared to talk about it on the show. Absolutely. Um, I'd like to just start by telling you, a, as an audience, uh, a little bit about the game and, and where it is and what it is and where it comes from. Uh, so it's a game about, uh, it's an action RPG uh, about a character that's kind of only known as the Drifter. And the story of the game doesn't go super far into who the Drifter is or, or really that much about the world. Um, so in the intro, uh, the, the Drifter, our main character, who is uh, a blue-skinned humanoid, uh, witnesses the destruction of his world um, and the resurrection of four terrifying titans. He's then infected by some kind of dark force and then he returns to the world to do battle uh, with that dark force, uh, armed with his hard light sword, a pistol that fires pink bullets, uh, and he is led onward by some sort of jackal creature uh, towards an inevitable conf- uh, confrontation with the thing that is haunting him. Classic video game setup, right? Absolutely. <laughs> you know, actually, like I think... People compare this a lot to, and it's clearly inspired by a lot of the Zelda games. It has a similar level of story to those. Like, you don't get a lot of uh, dialogue in those. You get zero dialogue here. But yeah, true. It, it has, like, a, a so, sort of very pared down, uh, really based on kind of allegory or... Not allegory, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, it's kind of like, it relies on your familiarity with sort of tropes of... Uh, in the case of Zelda, fantasy. In the case of this, I guess kind of a meld of fantasy and science In the fiction. case of this, just Zelda. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, so it really is kind of like uh, just 
like the, the the story is not the key focus here, but it it does just enough to sort of make you feel like there's a there's a sort of a mysterious sense of place. Yeah, it trusts that when it shows you a big bad creature and then shows you a castle on a map that you know that you're going to have to go to that castle and kill that kill that creature that it saw. It doesn't tell you who the creature is, why the creature's there, what you're going to see in between, or what you're really going to get when you beat the creature, but you at least have a, a direction to go and an idea that that's the next thing you're supposed to do, maybe. Yeah. One of the neat things that I think really is interesting about the style of the game um, is that because it has this sort of language of video games to fall back on, like I, I feel like generally anybody picking up this game in 2016 um, understands a little bit about you know, the language of video games uh, so that when it drops you into this environment, the environment doesn't really have to explain itself. You, you start off at the center of the world, uh, and you know if you go north, south, east, or west, you're going to encounter enemies, and if you progress and, and collect all the things that you can collect and ultimately defeat the biggest, baddest thing there is on that side of the map, um, and you do that a few times, you'll have beaten the game. Uh, that kind of gameplay doesn't need to be explained because it's a part of the sort of language of video games. And this game kind of relies on that language to tell its story. Now, I should say, and I'm sure, we're, sure we'll talk about uh, this in a lot more detail a little later, but this is an incredibly hard game. Like, this is a game yes. that... that uh, a big part of the there's a there's a big audience for games with like a really steep difficulty like vis-a-vis -vis dark souls things like that but but um like that's Ding. something that you you need to know going into Sorry, this I game just ring that, that bell anytime someone compares a game to dark souls <laughs> yeah this is this is a game that really like makes that tough as nails difficulty a key central focus of the game this game is part of the kind of outgrowth of the whole video game kickstarter phenomenon. Um, and this is one that I think kind of went under some people's radar because we're getting into a, a into territory where video game Kickstarters don't seem to make big news unless they're breaking huge boundaries in terms of fundraising. And this one raised about $600,000, which is definitely not chump change. Uh, but this is a game that uh, it's not one of those multi-million dollar Kickstarters that are really breaking new ground in, in terms of you know, people dropping phenomenal amounts of coin. Yeah, um, and a lot machine. of times Kickstarter now is the place where even major companies are throwing out test games and getting these insane dollar amounts. So this is, from my understanding, at least a truly independent developer. Very true, very true. And, and those big, big name games, those would get made anyway. It's games like this that are probably a lot more niche that are really reliant on that kind of crowdfunding element to actually just get, even just to exist in the first place. Yeah. And Heart Machine, uh, which is a company uh, created pretty much, I believe, just for this game to, to begin with, uh, by a, a guy named Alex Preston, um, is a it's, a, it's a company that has a really interesting story just from the Kickstarter, but also from sort of the, the story of Alex Preston himself, having, having done a few interviews. Um, uh, the game itself, uh, I mentioned when I kind of brought up the character of the Drifter, uh, he's he's infected with a, an illness uh, that's sort of hunting him. Uh, and that is a story that kind of mirrors Alex Preston's personal story. 
Um, he's a he's a man who's had um, he's in his 30s and he's had a lifelong history of heart disease, and uh, he is not sure you know when he's going to be able to work. Uh, he's not sure um, how he how long he's going to live. I guess given kind of the sort of things he said in interviews, um, and so this character of the drifter uh, being kind of driven by um, by illness is something that I think is personal uh, for the story uh, and uh, maybe has a lot to do with the the look and feel of the game as well because every accomplishment that you get in this game is uh, is counterbalanced uh, by basically like an assault on the on the main character by, by his own illness I think is a really interesting element of the story and of the look of the game. And the look of the game is really striking. Like we've we've talked about Sword and Sorcery uh, or Super Brothers Sword and Sorcery EP uh, on this uh, show before. And I think that's the closest thing I can compare it to. It's a gorgeous pixel art style that's like incredibly intricate. Um, but it so I can really see why people wanted to, you know, put money into this on Kickstarter. Just just looking at screenshots, even very early screenshots, it, it looks gorgeous. I think there's any moment in this game, you could take a screen grab and it's worth looking at. Like everything. I, I took tons of, of screen grabs and video while I was playing through this game. Um, and one of the most awesome things to do when you're, when you're playing it is to go back and look at some of those big climactic fights when you've actually just finished it and won uh, and go back and watch yourself zigzag around the screen like a super ninja um, the the incredible difficulty of the game is really highlighted that when you do that. But the the style, I think the Super Brothers. We need to come up with a name for this style of pixel art. I'm no good at naming things. <laughs> Frog homework. Um, this sort of very thin line style. It it's very different from uh, from what you'd expect when we describe the game up front as being similar to Zelda. It's like the color palette of Monument Valley, maybe? The kind of like pastel-y colors. Yeah, I could see that. It's sort of in the same color area. It's got a lot of like bright neon and uh, really interesting like pink and blue kind of colors. And kind of glitchy. Neon pinks and blues are becoming kind of the uh, signature palette of uh, of hot indie titles. Uh, and I think that probably started with like Hotline <laughs> Miami. Uh, yeah. But it's leaking into everything now. Uh, but this this game pulls it off incredibly well. They they have a, a a way that they display things in this game that goes beyond pixel art. Um, it's sort of reprojected and 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 re, you know post processed and, and color manipulated in tons of interesting ways. You mentioned it looks a little glitchy. Um, it, it goes from glitchy to glowy to uh, glary. Uh, to any other <laughs> term that yeah. I could probably abuse here. There's a thing you could do in um uh like in GarageBand where you could you could record like a guitar playing and then you put it through like the 8-bit cruncher and on the other end when it comes out it's supposed to kind of sound like it's like an 8-bit like a video game song but it doesn't really but it sounds a little crunchy like 8-bit music does and that's kind of how this feels. It's like they took like a really nice full design, like almost painted scene and then put it through like an eight bit cruncher and it all gets simplified, but you see little, little moments of like real color and, and, and real design throughout the whole thing. Now, one thing about this art style, like I, I 100% think it's 
beautiful. But I, I will say that occasionally it does sort of work against you because it has this perspective um, mm-hmm. that is like very – so this is very true pixel art. This is not like, um, you know – Things that are, might be at various different sizes or scales that happen to be made up made up of little boxes. You know, this is like true pixel art. It's yeah, it's on a, a grid. Isometric. Every pixel is on a is on a precise grid. Um, Actually, no, it's not really isometric. Well, there are some places where it, it yeah, there, it's not isometric. It's I don't know what the word is for that perspective, but it's a it's a perspective that is sort of from above and slightly an angle. Um, but not turned like an isometric perspective. But what that can it's sometimes like top mean, down, but you see the head to the feet, right? <laughs> I mean, the Zelda perspective, really. Um, yeah. But the the problem occasionally is that it, it can be very intricate, but it can also sometimes leave you not sure what is foreground and what is background, or even really necessarily what is like what is going to kill you and what is not going to kill you. And that can be pretty frustrating in a game with difficulty as high as this. There's a lot of times where I wasn't sure, for example, is that black thing a black platform or is that a hole I'll fall into? Is this, uh, this thing that sticks up, is that a wall or is it just part of the decoration of the floor? So there were occasional Mm -hmm. problems I had with it. Um, but mostly the art style is gorgeous and only occasionally does that gorgeous art style kind of interfere with gameplay. Occasionally it kind of does though. Yeah. The only other situation I think the, is that a wall or is that a platform thing can got in the way sometimes, but also, and this could be totally me personally, cause I have some like crazy eye problems, but like the color palette made it harder sometimes to see like projectiles. I thought, cause like the color, a lot of the colors is so flat. I wouldn't see um, stuff coming at me until it was, kind of too late but mm-hmm. um so that would and i think that's also just part of the difficulty i'm sure everyone who plays this game runs into that so it just felt like it blended so much into the colors that i had a hard time picking it out when it's uh you know 16 bad guys on the screen at the same time and that happens um, for yeah sure. and that and that's what i mean like this could be just you know your your mileage may vary on that but from time to time i, I felt like the colors while beautiful were almost too much and yeah, I, I would have liked some simplicity during uh, intense battles to be able to differentiate what was going on a little bit more. Um, I mean, he sticks really rigidly to like his aesthetic here. And so like he's got uh, pixels on a grid. This is pixel art in a very true sense. And he's got a color palette and he sticks to that color palette. So, you know, it, it, it uh, that really works for the game in terms of, you know, one of his stated goals in, in uh, something I read someplace was like, you know, he wanted it to feel like an SNES game, which it does in a yes. lot of ways. It feels like it has all of the uh, sort of technical limitations of an SNES game too. Obviously he's going way beyond what you could do on an SNES, way more pixels yeah. on screen, lots and lots of, you know, activity and so on. But, but you feel like he really set some initial um, restrictions for himself and he really stuck to them. And in some places that really leads to like an excellent experience. And in other places it kind of doesn't, for example, like I would really like to have a little bit more parallax in order to tell like, you know, what is the mm-hmm. thing I can pass underneath and what is the thing that I'm going to run into as a wall? Um, that kind of Speaking thing. Speaking of the SNES kind of comparison there, one of the things on the Kickstarter that I really wish they had managed, uh, the highest level Kickstarter goal that they never hit was a SNES demake mm-hmm. of the game that would actually oh, run cool. on an SNES, which would have been amazing if they had yeah. managed to do it. And I agree completely. I, I would say, given the choice, I would not ask them to change anything with the graphics, uh, with the design style. Like, if it's you know, totally redo it or leave it the same. I, I it's so pretty and it's, and yeah, it's yeah. totally worth looking at. These are, these are minor things that we, we bring up, but like, 
because there is room for improvement, but it's... Yeah, we're sitting here complaining about how the game is too pretty. Yeah, which is a, a, <laughs> bit, a bit ridiculous. And, and particularly ridiculous considering that, like, I mean, I'm not a game developer or anything, but, like, this game was made using Game Maker. Like, Game Maker is an incredibly limited tool set. You know, it is not a full... I mean, like I said, I'm not a not a developer, but like you look up what's made with Game Maker, and this has to be the most full featured, complex, beautiful thing ever made with Game mm-hmm. Maker. Absolutely, by somebody by out there is gonna gonna go to the feedback form and make you eat your words. But, but well, you hopefully, know, you, you got to be close to right. Yeah, I, I think the only the only thing I can think of that's even close is. Um, um, uh, Gunpoint, which we played for the show. We did an episode on that a while back. That was also made using Game Maker. But Game Maker is like, you know, that's a it's a good tool for creating relatively simple games. Um, but like making this yeah. game using Game Maker is an absolute feat. It also probably yeah. explains why the game took so long to make. I think this is just an example of uh, this game was really hard. And there's going to be a couple times <laughs> when we point out things that made it really hard and we're not saying that it should be changed but it's just like these are all elements that to what made it really really hard uh so i think there's gonna be a couple times throughout this episode we're like yeah but what if they did it this way and it's really just us coming up with ways to make it easier for us um but not necessarily like a real recommendation for change you know yeah definitely the game asks a lot of you yeah um so before we move off of the idea of the kind of stylistic elements of the game, I have to mention, once again, it's got a Disaster Piece soundtrack. Oh, yes. I love Disaster Piece. That's all so that needs to be right said now. there. <laughs> He's awesome. But the music is phenomenal, and I'm sure we're going to be able to drop some of it into this episode. If you're not familiar, just Google him, and you'll probably see that he's done the soundtrack for, like, tons of cool stuff. Uh, One example is the Fez soundtrack, which is super good, but this soundtrack is at least as good. I'd like to talk uh, with each of you about your first impressions of the game, because this is a game that drops you into its world with, uh, again, no real tutorial to speak of, except for a couple of instructions that tell you which button to hit. Um, And then you're able to go off in a a variety of different directions, um, some of which will be easier than others, some of which will be harder. and you can you can assault different areas in this game in any order. So tell me a little bit about your first impressions of the game. So I guess I'll go first. And I uh, I was really looking forward to this game because the art style really appeals to me. I'd seen the Kickstarter. I hadn't participated in it or what have you. But um, I'd, I'd seen the Kickstarter and the trailer and I'd been following it. And I was really looking forward to the game. So I requested uh, review codes for the show. And we, uh, we got those. Thank you very much to the developer. And uh, I got them about a day before the game came out. So I decided, well, I'm going to really going to try and rush through this and and uh maybe you will be able to get an episode out about it within the first uh week or so after release which would be super fast for us and that did not happen and <laughs> that's because this game just threw up an enormous wall of difficulty um right off the bat and i mean indie games indie games have a small enough audience as it is right and indie games with a very distinct and sort of off the beaten path aesthetic like this may theoretically have an even smaller audience and so you'd kind of think that this game would really be kind of reaching out to try to be as appealing to as many people as possible but that is absolutely not what the developers had in mind these developers this is a game that demands an incredible level of precision and practice it really does and repetition from you and uh very few games are willing to even try to ask that much of you. Yeah, and my first impression with the game was 
I don't think I have this in me. Like, I played it for about two hours, and I, I think I... When you when you first are dropped into this game, it's, it wordlessly drops you into a, 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 you know, a scenario where you basically can pick any direction to go. There's four different directions that you can go in. Uh, it doesn't really tell you what to do at all. You just sort of have to guess, okay, I guess I should start walking in one of these directions, and, and eventually I'll get through it, right? Well, kind of. There's like a dog that I think leads you, or a jackal, as he said, like, unless you ignore it, which you can. Well, I did follow it, and I don't think it led me in a direction that was the easiest to start with. We'll probably talk about what order we went in throughout the, the game. But Yeah, no, it, it, takes you, it takes you into the town, uh, or it takes you to somewhere where you're, you're attacked by the um, it takes dark you force. East. And then, uh, and then a, another drifter... Um, you collapse, and he finds you in the woods, and he takes you to his house, and that's where you really start the interact the interaction of the game. Yeah, um, I basically got through about two hours of the game, got to a point where I was stuck in a way that that at the time felt really unfair. Um, what something about the way that this game handles progress is that you have health packs that you carry with you. You can carry an X number of health packs. You can take basically about five hits before you need to use a health pack. Um, yep. Whenever you go through a well, door, well, if you take of five hits, kind, you're dead. You right, right. <laughs> so <laughs> whenever hits. you go through a door of any kind, it and saves some things your do and double damage. I want to add on to that. Not only so, just to to enhance the unforgiving nature of the game, um, getting hit stuns you. And unlike in a lot of games where you get like some invincibility frames or something, you do not. So it's extremely easy to get pinned down and beaten to death. Yeah, in this very game. easy. And obviously you have to pay attention to the enemies and their patterns. They all have sort of like very video gamey patterns and you can predict what they're going to do if you pay attention enough. But sometimes you end up in very large crowds of them. And um, the thing I mentioned about the game's saving is that it saves every time you go through a door and it doesn't just save your progress. It saves how many uh, health packs you have and what health you have. And so it's very easy to get into situations where you're respawning at one hit you know one hit with no health packs yes it very much incentivizes uh completing each room perfectly uh yeah so as and, you it, and if you don't game, if you really screw up there's basically no way to to kind of reset you don't have multiple save slots or anything you pretty much have to so like warp back to town and kind of give it another try from scratch and and i very quickly ran into that sort of situation and got very frustrated with it and kind of rage quit which is why why here we are months and months later talking about the game. I rage quit the game in the first week, and the only reason we're talking about it again is that Shane uh, decided to uh, to give it another try and ended up really, really loving the game and convincing me to give it another try. And thank you, Shane, for convincing me to give it another try because I, I am glad that I gave it another shot. Mm-hmm. Get good, yeah. Um, <laughs> the The experience for me was pretty similar. Like I, I tried it out at first, and I kind of rage quit, and I came back to it after a little while just because I kept hearing people talk about it. And, you know, there were, it has, it, I, I thought that, wow, this is a, this is a, a terrible game. Uh, very stylistic, but terrible. Um, and, and I just kept hearing good things about it. Um, a good friend of mine um, was asking me about it. He had heard the story of the developer and he brought it up to me again. And, uh, and I was hearing some of the soundtrack and other places. And I was like, well, you know what? Maybe I will. I'll give it another shot. So I downloaded it on my PS4 um, and I started playing it there. And I just sort of took my time with it. And um, somebody somebody somewhere out there um, had, had mentioned, like, you really have to, 
um, just take a slow and precise approach to the game. And once I started doing that, the areas started to open up to me. And um, my initial kind of direction, I went east first uh, and fought some awesome, annoying plant creatures that explode um, and kind of worked my way around. And uh, eventually, you know, I, I'd, I'd, beat, I'd completed a whole area. And that kind of gave me the confidence to continue and, and, and carry on and, and beat the rest of the game. And, and I had an amazing time. So I should probably confess at this point that I think the only person among us that has completed the game is Shane. Um, I did that not. Has never happened on this show. Yeah, it's I like know, the first right? time. Um, I so my experience is similar to Reagan's, and um, I think we're just all at different moments uh, with how this game ultimately makes you feel. Because Shane, I think you, your opinion is like the final evolution of how players play this game. You pick it up. You play it, you have no idea what's going on, and you rage quit. And then you say, <laughs> you know what? Okay. I see what's going on here. I'm going to take my time with it. I'm going to come back to it. And I beat it, and I love it. Um, I you know, have to admit that I am only fresh off of the rage quit moment from this game, which I almost never do. I like hard games. I like a challenge in a video game. Um, I went east. I was having a good time. I was dying a ton, just a ton. And it, I got down to a point pretty deep into dungeon isn't the right word, but you know, pretty deep into like a, a long series of battles. And I got to one of those spots where my save slot or, you know, my current moment in the game, I had one health and I had to navigate a seemingly endless series of battles with only being hit one time. And I, I was memorizing spawn points. I was memorizing initial moves. I was like killing stuff the moment they popped out of the, out of the ground. And I was just making it deeper and deeper, but it seemed to never end. It's just like, I, I can't do this right now. I need Mm -hmm. to like go back and do something. So I went back to the town and I couldn't upgrade anything and I couldn't really change anything. I was like, okay, I want to get back to that spot. I was, and the only way I could get back to that spot I was, which again was about an hour and a half or so, an hour maybe, down into this dungeon. And the only way I could get there again was to do the entire thing again from the beginning. Yeah. And that's the only so there's no there's no way to like sneak through this game. You can't grind yeah. to get better. Uh you can explore and find uh coins, uh, I guess they're little glowy squares that you can spend on upgrades. Uh, mm-hmm. But even just to get to the areas where you're going to be able to explore, it can be a, can be a a, con- yeah. a, a slog. Um, so it's a it's a game where there's no shortcuts. Yeah, and, and that's the only like real true criticism. And I also understand that this is part of what makes the game difficult. So it's fine. But the one thing that really put up a wall for me is that I spent so much time getting down pretty far into this dungeon, and then because of my own play, I totally understand that i had put myself into a really difficult situation and i would love the modern convenience of at least being able to pick back up where i got you know kind of walled off and the idea of spending you know another hour hour and a half doing the same thing that i'd been struggling through before really 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 made me not want to keep playing this game <laughs> i had that exact same feeling. well one thing i'll say to that is that i guarantee you that if you, if you did go back through 
that area mm-hmm. again. Um, you'd find things you didn't find before. Probably. Because this is a game where uh, secrets are hidden everywhere. This is a game that lovingly rewards exploration uh, with one glaring failure uh, as a part of that. But just walking around and exploring every corner of this game um, felt like the kind of classic SNES or Genesis experience where you're like, huh, that's a mysterious looking wall. I wonder if I can walk through it. Yeah, you can. You know, things like that. So I totally get the difficulty and I'm totally fine with it. I really don't want the things that I'm saying to put anyone off from the game. I think that I was a victim of my own sort of scheduling and how I think this game should be played. And Shane, as the one who beat it, I think you may be able to attest to this. I sat down. I was like, okay, I'm going to play this game for like the next four hours and I'm going to make a ton of progress and I'm going to, and it's going to be fine. And then, you know, tomorrow I'm going to play four hours and, you know, it's about a seven, 10 hour game, depending on your skill level. And I'm going to beat it or be close to. And I spent like two hours and I'm, because of my like warp back, I felt that I had made like zero progress. And now you would argue, and I know that my skills have increased, therefore making the rest of the game better, but it still felt like zero progress. And I think that probably this game would be better off if you played it in like short, tense play sessions. Um, Whereas I burn myself out by like repeated tough battle, tough battle, tough battle, master it, move forward. And then to have to do it all over again, I'm just like, no, this is not me. Yeah. Once and I got my feet in the game, I had uh, I, I kind of went through it in um, mostly like one or two hour play sessions, sometimes less. And yeah. in each of those play sessions, I was finding one or two of the kind of key pieces, you know, that you mm-hmm. the, or the core things that you're that you're collecting. And yeah. um, in every one of those there was some point where I got fucking stuck as hell. And I have picked it back up and continued to make progress and I feel good about it. But like, to me, that's been the biggest experience thus far is this like total burnout in a game that I almost have never felt in a game. And I like hard games. Um, But I think that is itself a unique experience. And I think uh, I I recommend that people play this game. I know we're going to go to wrap up uh, at the end of this, but I, I just kind of spieled about my, what would maybe sound like a negative experience, but it's um, just the way I approached it, I think was probably wrong. And so Shane, what you mentioned about like things being hidden, there being lots of like, every time you go through an area, even if you're having to go through it multiple times, you're finding new things. Like that's part of like, I think the key design philosophy behind this game was this sort of um, intentional obscurity. Like everything about this game is a mystery. You know, when you're dropped into the game, you don't know what to do and it doesn't tell you and there's no words. And the story is a mystery. It's intentionally obscure. And you know, the, the mechanics of the game are a mystery. It gives you a couple of very basic tool tips about like the controls. And that is it. It doesn't explain the upgrade mechanics. Everything about this game is designed to be a mystery. Yeah, the majority of the text in this game is in a made-up alphabet that I could not be bothered to learn and appears <laughs> only on tablets, which you will, will find by crossing invisible bridges. <laughs> yeah, literally invisible walls, invisible bridges. It, this game is so 
into the idea of and and like understand like this is this is a cool thing. It's like this is the kind of thing yeah, that you'd it's tell sweet. your friends about when you were uh, when you were a kid and you'd find the the hidden thing in the SNES game. But this is like th- this doubles down on that like bizarre NES hidden mechanic thing. And there are clues. You've got a little you got a little buddy who's gonna like ping at you when you're near something that's secret. Um, but it doesn't. It's not. 100% reliable. Like m- most of the time it's it feels like there's this moment of dialogue between you and the map designer. Um and you're looking at you're I'm just looking at a, an area and I'm like I bet something's hidden. I would hide something there, you know? So there's a there's a certain point where you just get the game and you're like I know I knew it. I fucking knew it. That wall I could walk right past there and there's uh, a chest in there. That's a cool feeling. It's an awesome feeling. It really is. And and so that's like a big mark in the pro column on this game. Something I would explain about this game is that like I feel like this is to the Zelda games, like Hyperlight Drifter is to Zelda as like Fez is to platformers like Mario. Like this is a game that is uh is kind of like imitating those older games through a particular lens. And that lens is like if what you remember about Zelda is the thrill of exploring something where it doesn't tell you don't know what's going on. Maybe you can't even read. Maybe you were seven years old when you played this, and I don't know what age. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Did Early it take you till you were seven to learn to read? Yeah. <laughs> don't 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 question me. Um, he still can't read. And you know, like when you're ten, when you learn to walk. Yeah, exactly. You know, for the first maybe, time. Maybe maybe you were a little kid. You couldn't be bothered to read the manual, or maybe you didn't know how. You know, and those games had almost no text in them. If you look back at like Zelda and think, man, that's what was great about Zelda: the mystery and the fact that nothing was explained, and everything that was a discovery was a magical moment. Then yeah, it's real discovery, real discovery. Then this is this does that incredibly well. Now, if what you liked about Zelda was like the puzzle solving, this doesn't really do that, or at least not as well. Uh, if nah. what you liked about Zelda was the sort of like, I mean, certainly if you like Zelda for its story, this isn't that. I don't think anybody likes Zelda. That's <laughs> true, right? Yeah, Zelda's yeah. story is fine or whatever, but no one is picking those games up to find out this 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 game as little as it has has a way better story than zelda i guess that's probably true but this game carries that obscurity and mystery through to every possible area of the game the the menus are a mystery there's no text in the menus there's a there's upgrade mechanics in this there's shops there's no text in the shops you have to figure out i have symbols uh, what the the shops do they they show you a little video of what an upgrade is going to do, and still I managed to buy upgrades, and they did something different from what I thought they did. I bought an upgrade, um, and I had no idea what it did even after I bought it. I was like, did that do anything? No idea. Can't tell. Correct me if I'm wrong. The only actual written word that is readable is when you hit pause, and you can go to, like, settings. Yeah. There's no... There's a handful of, like, words, like, right at the very beginning. Like, I think it tells you, you can use these teleporter pads or something along that line. Oh, yeah. There's a and, few tips right at the beginning to but explain like, right the, right the bare minimum. And you know that, like, the, the, like, dribs and drabs of actual text that are in this game are all places where, like, probably somebody during testing, like, l- literally freaked out and, and rage quit. And they, like, 
deliberately put in like three words just to assuage that. In this game, it must have been dozens of people and they must have split their wrists. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's definitely no text from characters in a language you can read, nor any text from the world that you can read. Yeah. yeah. And so all that builds into the difficulty. We talked about the incredible difficulty of just like the, the minute-to-minute combat and that, but there's a, there's a difficulty to just conceptualizing this game, to deciding what your goals are, to knowing whether or not you're moving towards those goals, that it's hard to tell in in this game because of its intentional obscurity. And, and, and knowing that when you're going in would really be a big help. When I first booted up this game, I did not realize that it was going to be quite so incredibly cryptic and that my you know, I was, and I didn't know I was going to have this incredible skill barrier either. All of those things led me to kind of rage quit the game. Um, if I had known that stuff going in, I think I would have had a much better time. And that's why I think I had an incredibly improved experience when I went into it a second time after Shane had already experienced most of the game and was there to kind of tell me what was up. Hey, Reagan, I just have to apologize to you. I just looked it up because I started thinking about it more. The average age that someone learns to read is actually seven years old. Aha, so good. Okay. It's actually about six or I seven years old. pull that completely so. out of my butt. I'm glad. Okay. I, yeah, I just, I... Uh, well, I guess Hooked on Phonics worked for Nate. <laughs> I just want to say I'm sorry. You're, okay. you're forgiven, Nate. Thank you. We're about to do the spoiler break, uh, but let's kind of get everybody's final impressions of the game. Like, would you, would you, who would you recommend this game to? Great question. I, I personally would recommend trying the game to almost anyone, but I don't think that it's for everyone. I think this is a game that's going to appeal very, very much to a, to a, to a, to a small, I would say not a majority of gamers, maybe even like like a quarter of video game players are probably going to complete this game if they start it. Like we're we're talking about a game that has an incredible skill barrier and is definitely not for everybody. Um, well, you know, that said though, it's an extremely short game. So yeah. if you get over that skill barrier, I think you have everything in your on your side to complete the game. It's very completable. That's true. How long did it take you ultimately to finish it? Um, I think it took me about 11 hours. Yeah, and I'm pretty close to... Th- I'd say I'm about three quarters of the way through the game, and I'm, I'm that might be wrong. I don't know for sure. But I, I'm about three quarters of the way through the game, and I think I've only spent about uh, five-ish with it. Um, what, one quick tip that I would say is, like, if you have somebody to play co-op with, this game is a lot easier and maybe more fun. Um, I, Shane and I managed to play co-op uh, using the share play feature on the PS4. Um, and that was actually an enormous help because if I was getting frustrated or I didn't know where to go next, I was able to boot it up and get into a game with him and and he was able to help me out a little bit. Um, but in terms of like who I'd recommend this game for, I absolutely recommend trying this game. We're getting on to that period where with all games on Steam, you're going to start seeing this in bundles and sales. And if you do, I would not hesitate to pick it up and give it a try um, with the expectation that it's not for everybody. Like this is a game that I think has um, it, it requires a certain kind of uh, first off, it has a, a high skill barrier. If you're bad at 2D games, this might be a pretty tough one for you to really that wouldn't be a one I'd recommend starting with. 
And even past that, it you have to be willing to explore and sometimes get lost. We haven't even talked about the map yet. You have yeah, to be. I, I was gonna. I was gonna try and bring us back to the the map. Uh, the map is the most dangerous thing in this game. Uh, in a in a game that's full of monsters trying to kill you, nothing will get you fucked as much as trying to follow <laughs> that map. Um, every area has eight keys in it, and as you try and move around. It took me a while to realize that your position, as it's marked on the map, is only the vaguest of suggestions. Mm-hmm. Um, the map has landmarks, and you can see those landmarks. Uh, but for the most part, if you're playing this game, ignore the map. I found this incredibly baffling and incredibly frustrating. And like, I kind of once I once Shane told me, yes, just ignore the map. That was a bit freeing, and I kind of felt better about my experience, but the map is the most baffling design decision in this game. Yeah. You need it for fast travel and you need it to know how many of the, of the key uh, bits that you have left to complete. Um, But beyond that, it shows you just the vaguest of, of a hint of where you really are. The map has rooms marked on it, but the rooms don't correspond really to what you're actually in when you experience the game. The map has no, like, it's a game about exploration, but it has no indication of where you've been and where you haven't been. You know, you can, uh, you know, it eventually, like, it reveals the map to you in large chunks, and then you have no indication of, like, well, I've been here or anything like that. Um, The map is... It does have, I will say one good thing about the map is it has the fast travel points, which are the lone and only concession to usability in this game. Um, And without them, like the challenge of navigating these environments would probably be too much. The the map is absolutely infuriating. Like, I I don't want to, I don't want to rag on the game too hard here because like I said, I think it's a, it's a cool game. The map makes me so angry, even just thinking <laughs> about it now. Like, I, I want, like, this game would be better if there were no map and it just had a checklist. Like, there is, the map is specifically there to mislead you and make you angry. <laughs> it is so the bad. map, though, is very pretty. I bet if, <laughs> if you printed it out and you had it on your wall, like the full map, you would say, wow. Yeah, Look you know, it I came think- with the game as a poster if you kickstarted it. See, that's what I'm talking about. They know. <laughs> I, I, I think back on like uh I think back on like the the beautiful map that came with like Link to the Past. And it's like yeah. it's it's a little vague. The the map that came with Link to the Past doesn't, for example, have like the details of of like uh what the uh, like what's inside the dungeons, for example. But the beautiful map that came with Link to the Past actually made sense it was gorgeous <laughs> but you could read it and you could tell where you were going and there was also an in-game map and that map made sense too this map in hyperlight drifter is a crime against game design <laughs> and i'm sure there's some good Whoa. reasons for it there i'm sure yeah. that the developer that I'm, I, I'm forgetting his name Heart if machine. you if you're having trouble go on go online and find um an actual map because there's Better maps that you can pull up on your phone that will help you find your way around this game better than the one built into the game. I did not do that, and now I, I kind of wish I had. Of course there are those things. Why didn't I think of that at the time? I just spent my time trying to look at the look at the in-game map and trying to read the tea leaves of what the yeah. design of I mean, the map was trying to suggest to you. And it's it, it never did anything except get me lost and angry. There are always going to be outside resources, but I think... 
when a game includes a map, the expectation is that the map will be something that I can use for having an idea of where I am. (laughs) And I will say you don't need to do, you certainly don't need to do that. I completed the game without Googling how to get to Birdman. Um, (laughs) So, you know, there's, it's definitely doable without it. uh, But that sort of thing does exist. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I do. I also recommend this game. I think all the things that we're saying here are just like extensions of of what make the game interesting. I think this would be a totally different game if it was a walk in the park and you're just going around killing creatures and, you know, whatever. Like the whole package, the the obvious purposeful obscurity, the the intentional difficulty, it, it creates a really unique experience that I don't think we've really hit a game exactly like this on our show before. Um, and I think, I do think a lot of people will bounce off of it, but I think it's worth the time and the effort to, to, uh, get good. (laughs) Yeah. You look back at reviews from when this game first came out and about 50, 50, like some of them are, are just saying like, I bounced off this game. It was very, very hard and it made me angry. And there are, uh, baffling mysteries and design decisions here. And about another half of them are very positive and take a lot of those same things as, you know, things to praise. I think probably it, people will know whether that's for them or not. I, I'll say I'll say for those people that bounce off, once I beat two bosses in this game, I beat the entire rest of the game in um, less time than it took me to beat the first boss. So... Um, once you get your feet in the game, once you get to a point where you understand like, oh, there's probably something hidden over there, or you understand how to watch the enemies and learn their patterns, like you'll fly through the game. Yeah. So we're going to have a spoiler break. And I think mostly after the spoiler break, we're just going to have a quick chat with Shane about what order he went through things in, um, which actually for me was vital to getting as far as I did. So if you are uh, needing tips on the game, maybe this spoiler section is actually something that you'd want to sit in for. Um, But uh, thank you guys for joining us. We're going to continue past the spoiler break. Um, And actually, after we finish with the spoiler break, we're going to have a quick chat with Shane about uh, the his experiences with PlayStation VR, which he's just recently got. So if you want to uh, stick around after the spoiler break or skip forward, I'll try to have a chapter marker in the show notes if you want to skip past these spoilers. Should we also say where you can play this game? Oh, yes. Yes, of course. And you can play it on uh, Steam on, and I think also you can get it from the developer's website on Mac, PC, and Linux. And it's also out now both on uh, PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. So it's playable on most of the key platforms. And if I recall correctly, it was 20 bucks. Is that right? That is correct. So I guess uh, if you want to stick with us for the PlayStation VR quick chat at the end, uh, skip ahead forward. Uh, Otherwise, this is it, your spoiler break. I don't know how much you really can spoil this game yeah um, i was but, kind of surprised when you said you wanted to have a spoiler break section although i think it makes sense if folks don't yeah, want to hear yeah, about no, their, i think uh, it is these are the kind of things that i certainly didn't know going into the game and might have changed my experience if i did so uh, i thought maybe we'd, we'd conceal them behind the the veil that is our spoiler break um but the first so the first thing you're going to experience in the game is the town and it took me a while 
to even realize that upgrades were possible. Um, but one thing I will share is that I think I have figured out what are the most important upgrades. Oh, um, please do The tell. number one most important upgrade, in my opinion, is the multi-dash. Uh, because normally you're able to dash three times and then there's a cooldown. Uh, but the multi-dash lets you move across the map much, much more effectively. Um, so that's very important in just traversal and bosses and everything. So um, the the town, all the upgrades, you don't have a name on anything like that. We're talking about there's a there's a shop that has like a sign that looks like some arrows. And then you go in and one of the items is a little video of you doing a bunch of dashes. And that's the one. That's the one. Um the uh there's a bunch of sword upgrades you can get and stuff like that uh most of that like uh some of them i bought that ultimately i didn't find that useful but but some that were useful um like there's a sword slash that you can charge up that's really good against bosses um there's a uh, ability to have your sword slash reflect projectiles and that also turns out to be very useful against a lot of bosses um but anyway outside of the town you can go north, east, or west. South is really blocked off initially. Uh, you can go a little bit south, but you can't get to anywhere interesting. Um, and there are lots of places around the world that are blocked uh, as, uh, by you know keys that you'll complete. Uh, and those keys are either just the, the big doors or, or the some of them are pillars. Uh, at the end of each section, you're activating a pillar for one of the cardinal directions. Uh, so the first place that I went uh, was to the east, and that is uh, this enormous lake uh, that is dominated by villainous toad people. And the toad people are these sort of, they have usurped the lake from the otter people. Uh, and my favorite piece of art in the game, or many of my favorite pieces of art in the game, are related to these otter men. There's a church with some surviving otter men that's awesome. Uh, one of the vendors in town, the one that teaches you sword stuff, um, is one of these otter people, and he is by far one of the coolest looking pieces of pixel art in the entire game. Uh, but So it, over there in the east, the whole lake uh, is being ruled by these toad men that have usurped it from, the, uh, from these guys, and, and their nasty king toad man is like literally sitting there munching on dead otter men, um, and they have there's piles of dead otter people everywhere. It's freaky, and I loved it. Um, the toad boss uh, is, I think, he was the first one I beat, and I definitely think he's the easiest boss to beat. So I think the going east first uh, is pretty reasonable to do, uh, and then north and west, I kind of split it up. I did I did a little bit of each at a time, but I would consider north to be a little bit easier. Up north, there's these vulture men um, who are part of some horrible cult. You can tell because they're wearing robes and they do magic. Um, their boss was, their boss wrecked me. I did finally beat him, but oh my God, the boss of the vulture dudes was super yes. hard. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of these moments that we didn't really talk about where there's these sort of extra areas that have no real gameplay but you're, you're seeing kind of the story of the world uh, by talking to somebody and they show you like pictures. They speak in, in like panels of, of, uh, of cartoon essentially. 
Um, and up there, I thought it was really creepy because these sort of this race of vulture men has um, kind of overtaken these uh, pure religious bird men and smashed all their eggs. Uh, and it was very creepy. Um, I think one thing that we we touched on, but I think it's worth really pointing out, is the the environmental storytelling that this game does a good job of, like walking into a room and you knowing, like being able to kind of like suss out what happened in this terrible moment, why there's all these dead bodies or or this interesting shrine or whatever, it is really cool and just kind of another really awesome aspect of the design of this game. I agree. I, I personally really like the way this game told the story of this world. Um, as little, you know, the story's not in your way. It's not a it's not a game where you are uh, looking to the story to motivate what you're doing. You're, you're, you're just moving from area to area and collecting things. Uh, so you don't have to have it and it doesn't have to be in your way, but they, they use it to color every screen in the game in a really beautiful way. And that, that kind of the, the third area which was the western area, which is the forest. Uh, that, I thought, was the best area in terms of that kind of environmental storytelling. There's there's these uh, crystal creatures there, this sort of crystal, uh, crystalline um, life force or something has, has overtaken this whole area. And there's this story that has, like, la- real layers to it. There's these this sort of blue-skinned race of people, which were the same race as, as the drifter, right? And they were at war with these raccoon men. And this war is just sort of frozen in time by something that unleashed the, these, this crystal that sort of froze everything in place. And so you're seeing, you're seeing a war kind of in, in, um, frozen in, time, in, in ice almost. Um, and we haven't even, I haven't even mentioned that each of these areas has somewhere in it one of these enormous dead titans and uh, it's implied by kind of the sort of the storytelling you see that the death of the titan was involved in what unleashed uh, this crystal that that uh, destroyed so much of the world there and the, the final boss in that area is also one is he's frozen in this crystal but he's one of the same kind of blue skinned race of people uh, as the drifter so, you know, it, it raised, obviously, more questions for me than it answered, uh, which I think is kind of natural to the style, style of storytelling, and it works for me. And then sort of the final area, the south, um, there's lizard people that lived there. They unlocked some secrets that man wasn't meant, lizard man was not meant to know. Um, but kind of deep beneath that area is where you finally unlock the enemy that you can face. And uh, I won't spoil the ending of the game, you know, such as it is. Uh, it's it's pretty, you know, but I will say that from the beginning when you see the world coming to an end and the, the drifter trying to fight it, um, you basically have uh, a story that, you know, begins and ends right there. So it's, uh, I thought the storytelling of the game was really excellent uh, and it really is just a way to convey this gorgeous art style. Well, we did promise to talk a little bit about PlayStation VR just here at the end. Um, Shane, yeah. Shane got a PlayStation VR uh, on launch day. I did not. Um, it was just a couple of days after I? our birthday. And so uh, it was a sort of birthday present to yourself. And I, uh, I'll take credit for it. Happy birthday, Shane. <laughs> Is that how that works? Exactly. He and I, I got you that. Yeah, <laughs> I got you that. 
Um, so obviously, so we're planning to do a kind of a more complete episode about PlayStation VR because very shortly here, Shane, Laura, and I are all going to be in the same place. This is next weekend when we're recording this. And, uh, so we're going to all try out PlayStation VR and probably do an episode just sort of on what games or what stuff is most worthwhile to check out if you're right now i think i'll just i'll just give you my basic thoughts on the hardware itself um the effect is really impressive um i was i was worrying that uh you know i'd heard people say like the um the hardware has you know some pixelation and yeah you can see pixelation um but you know what i lived with pixelation in my video games uh for a long time. We just played Hyperlight Drifter, uh, for example. I literally just played Hyperlight Drifter. <laughs> and um, so so what what I what I what I'll say is like the effect of putting on this headset and holding controllers in your hands and having hands in three-dimensional space, or putting on the headset and seeing things move all around you. It's something that I've never experienced before. Um, it's it works great. Um, it's impressive to everybody that's tried it so far. I had a little birthday party and I had it out and people were playing the, uh, PSVR worlds, um, where they've got the, the thing with, uh, there's all kinds of different experiences, but the, the big showstopper for people was, uh, one that's not even really interactive at all. You're just in a diving cage and, uh, you know, a shark shows up and, you know, person after person was, was, was literally flipping their lid uh, when that shark... Literally? Literally, their <laughs> lid just flipped right off, and it really interfered with the positioning of the headset. I bet. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, all I can say is that the hardware does exactly what it's supposed to do. Um, the headset's comfortable. The 3D effect is phenomenal. Uh, everything's very, um, like... You feel very present in the virtual world, and it's it's awesome. I just have one question for you. Can you play for, um, you know, more than 20, 30 minutes before feeling like that you need to get out of it, or are you able to play for an extended amount of time? So um, I have some – I've heard people complain about uh, kind of sensations of nausea after playing. I actually have only had that happen one time, and the one <laughs> time that I had that happen was when I was using it to play Overwatch in cinema mode. Uh, which you can kind of imagine sitting in the front seat, the front row of a movie theater. I had the screen blown all the way up. Okay. Uh, and I was, you know, bouncing around as junk rat and I got a little bit sick. At yeah. That. I that feel wasn't like even in a 3d experience. Yeah, that, I'm, I'm um, glad to hear that. Cause I don't really think that that would count. Like overwatch can make you nauseous. Just, playing it <laughs> normally just, just because of, of its uh, themes general. right or an art mm-hmm. <laughs> the it? one thing i will say that i didn't anticipate uh, that does that has occasionally made me want to you know cut my gameplay sessions short a little bit um is that the uh the headset is a little bit warm um mm. it's it's kind of mm. hot to have a piece of electronics covering most of your face. Yeah, so, it's headphones for your uh, eyes. I get tired of having headphones yeah. on for a while, you know? Same thing. Well, that's cool to hear. I'm really excited to give it a try when I visit you. I haven't tried uh, PlayStation VR. I have tried an Oculus very briefly, but it was a relatively early Oculus, and I tried it for really only about probably 20 minutes at a, at a dev days kind of thing. So my experience with VR has been very limited, um, 
so I'm really looking forward um, to giving it a try and and uh, and trying your stuff. And I'm also glad that you bought it, so I didn't have to. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I want to share this story just because I think it's kind of interesting, and I won't probably be on the VR episode you guys do because unfortunately I won't be able to join you to play it. Um, back in like 1997 or 98 or so, maybe even earlier, it might have been uh, like 93. Anyway, my uh, my father works for Boeing, and he was part of their virtual reality department when they were trying to figure out how they could utilize uh, VR as a a tool for you know development and uh, infrastructure and stuff like that. And he would host these um, like demos at there's the Science Center here in uh, St. Louis which is awesome. Um, and I would help like co run it and we would do VR, uh, demos, but this is like 1990, you know, mid nineties VR. And it was a huge headset. And all that it was, was you could walk around on a battleship and there was a plane like a, like a F 16 or something on the dock of the plane or the ship. And you could like walk around it and you had a little hand and you could like go up and, like the hand was like a free floating thing in the middle of the screen that was controlled by the little controller in your hand. And you could like touch pieces of the, of the plane and like open up the cockpit. And then if you jumped off the ship and landed into the water, uh, it would cut to like a screensaver basically of like a underwater, like fish moment. <laughs> and they had to restart the whole thing. And well, uh, honestly, I, that sounds great. I'd love to get that for PSVR. <laughs> well it's just it, i mean it it was like it was a 3d space but it was like you know golden eye level graphics and it, it was really just that you had the screen you know three inches from your eyes and you had a floating hand and that was really all that made it like virtual reality but like since then i've been really really ready and and, and excited about um VR in video games and and elsewhere, and uh, I I wasn't able I, I I didn't get a PSVR just yet. Um, I'm not ready to be an early adopter on that, but um, I, I'm really excited to see where this goes and to hear more about your experiences and to try it out myself at some point. Yeah, I'm Definitely. looking forward to it too. All right, well, I guess that's pretty much it for us this week. We'll be talking more about PSVR in a future episode. Um, we're also going to be talking more. Our next episode should be on uh, more IF Comp. Uh, we had a great response to our episode about uh, the 2016 Interactive Fiction Competition uh, last week, or actually more than a week when you're hearing this. Sorry, we had a bit of an extra few days there because of some <laughs> Hyperlight Drifter. Things. Yep. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, we'll be talking more about that soon and uh, look forward to that. And thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, I've been your host, Reagan Kelly, and you can find me on the internet at Reagan K. That's R A Y. Y-G-A-N-K, or you can find our show on Twitter at underscore the, excuse me, at underscore short game, or www.theshortgame.net, where you can use our contact form to let us know what you're into, what, what if there's anything that you're interested in with regards to PSVR and short games, uh, let us know. Um, or if you have uh, IF Comp suggestions, let us know those too. We're going to be continuing to cover that. Nate, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at NateSTL. And Shane, where can people find you? I can also be found on Twitter at 8BitShane. And thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Short Game.
Hang on, guys. What? What? I gave them to you this morning at brunch. This better go in the show. At brunch. What do you think they had for brunch? I bet. You were walking away from the table at brunch? Okay. Somebody had Eggs Benedict. That's my first guess. Is is Shane a biscuit and gravy guy? <laughs> man, they didn't have biscuits and gravy at, at brunch. Oh, man. Oh. oh, my God. I went to the best brunch. I went to Baba Yaga brunch. Oh, I love Baba Yaga brunch. Did someone have Eggs Benedict? Because that was my guess. Oh, dude, I had fucking Eggs Benedict. You know it. Nailed yeah. it. You know it. You know it. <laughs> that is the brunch. Yeah. Um, hey, okay. I had, I'm just going to stop for a second. Eggs Benedict. Waffle with uh, cinnamon butter and bananas foster. Omelet nice. made at the omelet bar, my way. Um, four four kinds of dessert. Bacon, hash browns. This sounds great. Uh, I can't even remember the rest of the things, but there was more. There was more to it than that. Uh, <laughs> cheese blints. Um, Gee, oh, you're killing me here. You're killing yeah, me. Yeah, it's, it's fucking great. I'm going to... Reagan, maybe we can go when you come into town. I wouldn't. We'll, we'll go back. Say no. I wouldn't say no. All right. All right. Uh, um, where, where are we? Um, Shane.